All right, so if you would, would you open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 19? And as you do that, I want to tell you a little bit, uh, a little story. In the summer of 1999, I had the pleasure of getting to serve as a pastoral intern, a missionary pastoral intern in Lahore, Pakistan. And in just my second week there, uh, the pastor with whom I work introduced me to a young man named Parvez. And he communicated to me that Parvez wanted me to disciple him. He wanted me to teach him about God, to know him, to know about him. And so I said, okay. But the problem was, in addition to the fact that he was young, guarded, uh, often very nervous around me, uh, he knew about maybe 75 English words, and I knew about 50 Urdu words. All right, so that presented an immediate problem with how I was going to teach him about God. So we had to find other ways to communicate about who God is, and we drew from a number of different sources. We used pictures, we used nature, and we used historical landmarks. We had to get creative. So I would draw a picture of who God is on a piece of paper. So I just started with a heart, right, that God loves you. And I said, you know, your turn. You, who is God? And he drew uh, a fire <laughs> to show that God was angry, mostly at him. And so from there, we just had to, had to go. We had to talk about who God is. We would take uh, lunches oftentimes by creeks and places like that to show who God is. Or, or we would sometimes take, like, you know, little field trips to go outside at night under the night sky. And we talk about the bigness of God when we saw the night sky. And when we went by the creek, we'd talk about the purity of God. And we would talk about the refining work of God, that he makes us new, like he refines the, the creek bed and the rocks around it. We would go to museums and historical landmarks because you'd get Urdu plaques along with English there. And so we could communicate through historical figures, great Pakistani and, and Indian leaders, and comparing them to God. It was a very inexact science, and it was very, very hard work. But we just tried our best, and we never got further in talking more than just talking about who God is. And that was frustrating to me because I wanted to get all the practical stuff about what it means to be a Christian, how, how God helps us through his word and our relationships with each other, how he helps us to make peace where there's conflict, how he gives us love for people who are hard to love, and how God's word does all these things, and it's so wonderful. We never got to that point, so I was slightly frustrated. But I did notice before I left that Parvez had started to change. And sure enough, months later, uh, the pastor with whom I served wrote me a letter. And he said, you won't believe it, but Parvez has really changed. Uh, the girlfriend with, with whom he used to live and, and sleep, he proposed to is now his wife. And he loves her and is faithful to her. He told me that his, his disposition had changed completely as well, that he was calmer when dealing with conflict. He was previously a pretty angry, short-tempered kind of guy. That people in the congregation noticed how happy he was. He was quick to serve, quick to love others, quick to help out wherever he could, where there was a need in the church. And basically, people started to ask, like, what's changed? And he said, the difference is, I know God like he really is. That's what was translated to me in English. I now know God like he really is. And that's made all the difference. And in that moment, one of the lessons I learned for my life is that the most practical help I could give Parvez, or for that matter anyone, is teaching them, showing them who God is. And then actually, actually change them from the inside out to live the way God has designed us to live. So we're going to read together in Psalm 16, or Psalm 19, sorry, verses 1 through 6. 
and how about God's character, who he is, and we'll see how that can change who we are. Psalm 19, to the choir master, Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, or like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. This is God's word. So let me give you the setup here. A very young man named David spent his days getting to know God underneath a Palestinian sun while he shepherded sheep. Sun by day and a starry host by night as he tended to his flock. And it was underneath these two main teachers, sun by day, starry host by night, that David is first stirred to awe, all of his creator. He recognized that it's not just a God he worships, it is a big God. And that leads him, as we see in the psalm, to consider how others in history and across the world also experience the same expansive cosmos above him, laid out above him. And so he realizes God makes himself known to any and everyone. Not just him there in Israel, but anyone in the universe. And then he makes this connection, as we see in the psalm, between nature and God's nature. Between created thing and its creator. And he makes a specific connection here that this is a God who's not only big, who makes himself known to everyone, but he's a God who shows up in people's lives and helps So that's what we see here this morning. And in a nutshell, if you hear nothing else this morning, remember nothing else, remember this, that we can get to know God's nature through nature. You and I can get to know who God is through the creation He has furnished around us. Get to know God's nature through nature. And we learn just here in this psalm that this God, we can get to know He's a big God. He's a God that anyone can get to know. And He's a God who shows up and helps. So first, we learn that this is a God who is a, just a big God. And if you're at dinner parties and baptisms and you want to impress someone, the word for this is omnipotent. It means God is all-powerful. He's a big God. And we see that in verses 1 through 2. Verse 2 says, day to day, God's creation pours out speech. And the phrase pours out here is far stronger in Hebrew than it is in English. It has to do with an overflowing, as in a spring that is constantly bubbling up, constantly overflowing and giving life. It's opposite in the Bible, and an opposite context would be Proverbs 15.28, which says, The heart of the righteous ponders, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things, pours out evil words. And if you've ever known someone who doesn't stop communicating, that's what the proverb is referring to here. Someone who just keeps on pouring forth speech, oftentimes evil speech. Sometimes not, but in in person, in emails, over the phone, WhatsApp, whatever it might be, constantly pouring out speech. And so too is God and through his creation. In fact, in one sense, you could say that God is the original spammer. He, he, He has a constant communication stream going through all that he has created. It's more than necessary and often ignored by those who receive it. They put it in a folder, ignore, ignore. 
and, and not to undersell God or use a sort of a, a crass analogy, but I want us to think of God. Maybe it'll help you think of him in a different way. Because many of us often lament, man, God never talks to me. God never really speaks to me. Yes, I have the Bible and I've read it. Yes, I've heard about prayer, but I never really hear anything from God. But God is the original spirit. He is constantly communicating us right as soon as we walk outside those doors. Everywhere. The expanse of creation. We're told here in Psalm 19, God is pouring forth speech, truth about himself, if we would just look and listen. So to say that nature is gushing communication about God, it's true in a couple different ways. A couple different senses. One, the sheer number of items in nature that pour out knowledge about him. But there's another sense in which nature is gushing. See, guys, many people believe, those of us who believe in a a creator, an ultimate designer, capital A artist of this universe, that that kind of belief is, is naive. That we are simpletons to think that God created all of this. But to the contrary, the further into a created thing one looks, the more evidently it points to the creator who made it. So the more closely we look at that thing, through science, historical data, and otherwise, the more we see that it helps prove that there is a God who created it. The cosmos is David's example of this. The further the cosmos is looked into, the more knowledge about God that it pours out. We've grown to realize that we live on this street called our solar system. And it's like a street. Because our next closest neighbor, the moon, is almost a quarter of a million miles away. That's the next home, the moon, a quarter of a million miles away. So you start to get a sense of the largeness of this galaxy we live in, the solar system we live in. It's part of a massive subdivision the street is called a galaxy, specifically the Milky Way galaxy. So we have a street, that's our solar system, then the bigger neighborhood we live in is the galaxy. However, it is only one of 125 galaxies that make up our visible universe. The next closest galaxy, the Andromeda, is 10 million million miles away. I didn't stutter. 10 million million miles away. 2 million years traveling at the speed of light it would take to reach it. It's probably the speed of light, 2 million years, we could reach the next known galaxy. Voyager 1 is now the most distant human-made object in space. There it is, that spacecraft you see above. That little spacecraft was launched in 1977, traveling at the speed of 40,000 miles per hour, and it's just now arriving at the edge of our solar system. 1977, that's almost 40 years it takes just to get at 40,000 miles per hour to the end of our solar system. Think of that. If you saw someone walking to the end of your street, and let's say it took them two hours, you would start to worry, right? Like, how long is that street? Forty years. Just at the end of the little street of our solar system. A lot of us wonder as we should. At the, just the sheer vastness of this universe we call home. It's way too big, in fact, to simply serve as our home. And so it's caused scientists to wonder, to think there must be some other habited planet that we don't know about in this universe or universes we haven't yet seen, and yet none has still been discovered. There's no habitable planet for intelligent life to live on, only ours. And if no habitable life 
no intelligent life is found, why then would God create a universe so big with other universes on top of universes? It seems excessive. And I remember the winter of 1999, I was at this passion conference in Charlotte, North Carolina, and a man named Louis Giglio asked and answered this question. If there is no other form of intelligent life living in other universes, why would God create a universe so big? And he, he answered that question with another question, admittedly, saying this, that what if the primary purpose of the universe is to show off the glory of God rather than just provide you and I a home? What if it's to show off the splendor and the majesty and the glory of God? Like we're told here in verse 1 of Psalm 19. If so, then the universe is not too bad, big. In fact, it's just the right size to convey the nature and the character of God. Just as we continue to discover more galaxies and more universes and we see that this, <clears throat> this cosmos seems to be infinite, so also is God. It it displays his character. He is absolutely massive. So the further we look into our cosmos, the further gushes the greatness, the immenseness, the glory of God. In fact, we can't build enough high-powered telescopes to keep up with it. The moment we build a higher-powered telescope, we realize some new discovery, and then we realize there's more beyond that. So we have to build another telescope, and then another telescope, and so it will never end. Because that is the massiveness and the glory and the bigness of our God. And we're told this in the opening Psalms, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. Is there any stronger declaration than the vastness of our universe, which has universes piled on top of it? And yet, the cosmos, the cosmos still speaks an even greater glory, a greater story of God's glory. And just our subdivision, all right, just our little subdivision, there are 400 billion stars. Listen to what God says about them, Isaiah 40, 25 and 26, where God says, who are you going to compare me to? Or who is my equal? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings forth the starry host one by one, he calls them each by name. And it's because of his great power and mighty strength that not one of them is missing. God's Infinite cosmos reflects his infinite power and size, and yet he names each star and cares for it by name. And because of his great power, not not one is missing, not one has gone MIA. They're all there to be accounted for. And my friends, you are worth more than many stars. Your God, the God you, you call up when you're in trouble, the God you recognize you may need, he is infinitely powerful and yet knows you each by name. Every hair on your head. Second thing we learn in this psalm is that this is a God that anyone can know. God's communication is, and here's your, your part of your baptism word to press people, his communication is omnipresent. His communication is everywhere. David's words here are, are pretty profound. Look at verses 3 and 4. Let's read them together. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice, the cosmos' voice, speaking about God, goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. As a university student and still a pretty new follower of Jesus, one of my greatest struggles about being a Christian was my sense of justice. And specifically, God, why me? Why me and not other people? Why, why would you choose to know me? I mean, I, I am not your ideal candidate to become a Christian. I'm messed up. 
and I know it. And so I got specific with God. God, why not my friend Megan or my friend Brent or my friend Andy down the hall? Or what about those Pakistanis? I met those very charitable Muslims who, who, who give of themselves to care for the poor in a way that I don't. Why not them? And yet, God is just. Everyone has an opportunity to think on, behold, consider the glory, majesty, vastness of nature, the fact that it all works together, the fact that there seems to be a design before it and that there must be someone big behind it. Everyone has the same night and day sky to look to and think, you know what, I am not alone here. And there's justice in that, isn't there? The Apostle Paul picks up on this and says in his letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, he says that the wrath of God, God's just punishment towards mankind for not worshiping and loving him, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth that God is real and that God exists. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, his character, his nature, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made, things that have been made, so that they, all peoples, are without excuse. So what's interesting is that a couple different commentaries I really respect on the book of Romans, and Paul's letter to Romans, both say that Paul, when writing these words, probably had Psalm 19 in mind. That God has been speaking about himself through nature since the beginning of time. And, and that speech is pouring forth, and so that men are, are without excuse to acknowledge that there's someone bigger than them behind all of this. But there's also, what's brilliant about this is there's God's justice behind it. That something is right all people can observe a design and designer, but also we see justice in a different way. Something is not right. There's a cosmic-sized gulf between my creator and me. Think for yourself in your mind's eye, even close your eyes for a moment, the last time you really beheld a night sky with no light pollution around, away from large, dense populations, and you saw a night sky. And what did you feel when you saw that night sky? My guess is you felt an immense chasm between you and the God who created that. Between you and, quote-unquote, the universe. We would say you're the creator of that universe. There's a distance, isn't there? Even the cosmos underneath we live is preparing us, preparing each and every person for the gospel. The cosmos is the first word of the gospel because it displays God's greatness, his holiness, his uniqueness, his awesomeness. And also it displays the gulf, the great chasm between him and us. And that is the the two first principal points of the gospel, that God is holy, he's big, he's other than us. And we are separated from him. There is a gulf between us and him through which only someone who is both God and man can bridge. Because we know that happens in the person of Jesus Christ who died for us and bridges that gulf. That's the gospel, right? The starry host leads us. It starts to speak to us the truth of the gospel. Isn't that awesome? You know, I I went back and did some reading on on the lunar missions between 1969 and 1972 uh, when the man first landed on the moon and in the three years following of missions to the moon. Now, the 24 men who traveled to the moon 19 of them, as I was reading through some of the, the interviews and things, 19 of them publicly confess 
to some sort of transformation of their outlook towards life and towards God. 19 out of 24. Most spoke in awe of something much bigger which made them feel much smaller. In other words, they were speaking about that gulf. They were speaking about truth, about the distance between us and God. That is the beginning of hearing of the gospel. I had a children's pastor friend of mine tell me a story of a girl who showed up uh, one summer at a vacation Bible school, a VBS. And if you're not familiar with these, sometimes uh, churches put on in the summer, sometimes for parents of the church, oftentimes for parents who just are tired of having their kid around, you know, for the 15th week in a row or whatever. And so they send them to vacation Bible school where they get to hear about Jesus and they're fed snacks and they play fun games. And she was telling me this story about a girl who showed up there one day and the girl was telling her a little story. She grew up, she didn't know anything about God. She never heard of God before because her dad didn't believe in God. She said she was an atheist. But her dad would take her camping. And under the night sky, she would ask her dad, where did all this come from? And her dad tried to give her a few theories of how, where all this came from. And he even talked about the Big Bang Theory, etc. But he said, even you know the Big Bang Theory suggests that something started all this or someone started all this. And there's some people, I've got to tell you, who think that there's, there's, a, there's a God, there's a big person in the sky who started all this, who created all this. And she looked at him, she said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you weren't telling me something. I knew someone big is behind all this beauty. And so she kept nagging her dad, nagging her dad about it until he found this church that had this vacation Bible school, and there she heard about Jesus. And she learned who is behind all this beauty for her. It is this big God that anyone can know. Anyone can know. And she got to know him that day. He's a big God that anyone can know. Thirdly, we learn that he is a God who shows up and helps. Again, for dinner parties and baptisms, I'd be omnibenevolent. He is all good. He's a God who shows up and he helps. We see that in verses 4 through 6. The end of verse 4 here. In them he has set a tent for the sun in, in the night sky. He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber, like a strong man runs his course with joy. The sun's rising is from the ends of the earth. It's circuit to the end of them. Now, someone read that and think, well, man, well, the, obviously David is wrong, and thus the Bible is wrong. We know that the sun, it's not the sun that runs its course and travels its circuit, but rather it's the earth that rotates as it travels around the sun. So the sun isn't moving. We're moving, so David's wrong, but David is not an astronomer, nor is he trying to be here. He's doing something much more simple. He's making an observation about nature and then connecting it back to the nature of God. He sees something in creation, and he's connecting it to what he knows about its creator. In this case, he's connecting the sun back to the creator. And many, by the way, have followed in his footsteps in making these observations to greatly help their faith and get to know God better. I'll tell you about two of my personal favorites, Francis of Assisi. Some of you know him as St. Francis, who was a young man in the 12th century, left a life of wealth to follow Jesus, serving the poor, leaving everything else behind, living in the forest near Assisi. We don't have many of his writings anymore, just stories and a lot of legends and things. But one of the few writings we have is called The Canticle of Brother's Son. Canticle of Brother's Son, and it goes like this. We praise you, Lord, for all your creatures, especially Brother's Son, who is the, is the day through whom you give us life. The day through the day you give us light. Sorry. And he is beautiful and radiant with great splendor. Of you, Most High, 
He bears your likeness. In the Son, St. Francis recognized the beauty, the radiance, and the revealing nature of God. That you can't hide when everything is revealed. Truth is laid bare. And what's interesting is he wrote that while nearly blind. He had an eye condition. He actually didn't actually pin the words himself. He had an uh, amanuensis who pinned the words for him while nearly blind. The reason it's so significant is that he was thinking back to his memory of the sun, and it led him, even as he didn't see it, just thinking of it, to praise the God who created it, to see the similarities between the sun and the God he worshipped, even as he was blind. Think of another guy named Jonathan Edwards, a Puritan pastor and theologian who kept a notebook called The Language and Lessons of Nature. And in this notebook, Edwards is constantly observing creation and connecting creation back to its creator. And so the fact that roses has thorns, he would write, teach us that all temporal sweets are mixed with bitter. So he learned from nature. He recognized a spider, and he loved spiders. Spiders sucking flies represented the devil and its use of temptation to lure us in and consume us. Rivers running toward the ocean were symbols of all things tending towards God. And God, God drew all things to himself, the great ocean. So here you have these people who enhanced their love and their knowledge of God by taking what was created and connecting it back to its creator. So what about David? How does he do that? He believes God is pouring out speech. What connection is he making between nature and God's nature? Number one, he's making the connection that God, like the sun, shows up. Faithfully, faithfully shows up. Like a strong man. Think of a marathoner. The sun runs its course and returns to its tent to the night sky every day. And he comes back every day to do it all over again. God shows up. Just like the sun. Every day, on the mountain of your pasturing sheep shows up. So God shows up in my life. And he does. You know, Jesus in the New Testament compares his heavenly father to a dad showing up every day waiting and looking for lost children. He shows up looking and waiting for us to come to him in simple faith. He is there always for you. But also a second thing about the son, David recognized that God, like the son, shows up to help. Look at that very last verse line there in verse 6. There is nothing hidden from its heat. And David probably spoke much greater than he knew when he spoke this. Plants are the only organism on earth that are fed by inorganic materials and sunlight in a process we call photosynthesis. Without plants, there'd be no food chain, which includes us. The sun shows up to help and to give life. The sun produces in us vitamin D, which promotes bone growth, prevents us from a whole host of diseases and illnesses. Just getting sunlight to our skin produces a compound in the skin called nitric oxide, which lowers our blood pressure. Sunlight enhances our mood by increasing serotonin levels naturally. It allows us, the sun does, to sleep on a proper circadian cycle. The sun benefits all who are exposed to it, which is just like God. He works all things for the good of those who love him. He shows up not just to be there, not to be some clockmaker in the sky or some distant God, but to actually work good in your life. He's always there for you, working the best out of your bad, benefiting us just by basic exposure to him. You know, this morning I woke up, I went outside with my cereal. I would say my coffee, but I don't drink coffee. I'm one of those guys. 
I woke up, I stepped outside, and I just closed my eyes and I listened. And all around me, I heard cicadas just buzzing and buzzing and buzzing, and they just didn't stop. All around me, ringing in my ear. And it made me think, this is like God. Just a very simple connection. God never stops speaking. Just as they're speaking, day to day, he is pouring out speech through nature about who he is, displaying his glory in everything he's communicating. My friends, are you hearing God speak to you? Are you listening to what he's trying to communicate to you personally? Because a lot of us do feel like, man, God never speaks to me. When you walk outside those doors, he is. All the time. Let me suggest a couple ways, a few ways to get to know God through nature. Number one, you first got to disconnect. When you go outside, every once in a while, you got to leave this behind. You just have to. Some of us have grown so addicted to this thing that we just take it with us everywhere we go. And so we'll get a couple seconds like, wow, that's beautiful. I'll take a picture of it with this. I'll put it up on Instagram. I'll hashtag something with it. God's awesome. God is good. He's so cool. We never really do, a lot of us, don't take time to actually just sit. Like, wow, you are awesome, God. So disconnect. How else are we going to get reacquainted with awe in our life? Here's another way. Observe and be stirred to awe. Creation is at least one of three things, any, any creative thing. Immense, intricate, abundant. Consider our oceans. He had founded this place upon the sea, after all. Consider our oceans. Immense. There's a trench to the south of us called the Bartlett Deep, which plummets 18,000 feet. So every time I go paddleboarding and I get outside the reef at Spots Beach, I really do get nervous. I start paddleboarding out. I'm like, I'm going to, I know it's not that close, but I'm going to hit that trench. And it just produces in me this fear, this awe of God who has created this 18,000 foot trench, maybe beneath me. While diving or snorkeling, consider the intricate details of a parrotfish's glands, which at night secrete a mucus cocoon, which masks its smell, protecting it from predators from eating it. Just that little gland. Amazing. So observe and be stirred. Observe and connect to life. Early this year, I shared a story from two summers ago, taking my oldest son on a fly fishing lesson for his birthday. And we had some time to kill before the lesson got started, so we wandered off the beaten path into nature. We found this creek, which we were watching a couple snakes in and stuff. And then we got so, we wandered so far that we had to take the stream. We knew a stream would lead back to a river. And so we actually waded by the stream, kind of walked in it a little bit. We had our kind of wading shoes on. And eventually, we waded into a river. And, and for me, it was a reminder of when we walk with God every day, like Proverbs 16.3 starts to tell us, when we walk with God in the little things day by day, we'll find ourselves in God's greater will, the river, his big will for our life if we walk with God in the everyday stuff. And it was just a picture for me of how God works. If I walk in this stream, I'll be found in his greater will in my life. So that's the kind of connections we should be making as well. But also observe and connect to God. Like David does here, like Francis of Assisi, like Jonathan Edwards, to enhance our intimate love and knowledge of him. Quick book recommendation if you ever want to read. Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by Philip Yancey and Dr. Paul Brand. Even the human body, anatomy, who God has created us to be, has all kinds of lessons about the God who created us. 
and all the purpose and design in which he's created. It's fearfully and wonderfully made after Paul Brand. Last thing that can enhance our love for God through nature is to receive a new nature. The best way to get to know God, to like all he has created, and is replacing your nature. That sinful nature inside of you, that part of you that wants to do life your way. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if anyone is in Christ, he becomes a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And when trusting Jesus, you're awakened, you're quickened to life eternal, which means all this immense landscape, intricate design, and abundant beauty is just a hint of the glory to come, and you can be a part of that. Let's pray. God, it would be awesome this morning if we could just have this message on a beach (laughs) and just behold your immense beauty all around us. We get a taste of it a little bit through our fellow brothers and sisters around us, through you're creating us, but we get even more so as we step out and we look at the sky above us in day and the immense cosmos and starry night in the evening. We would ask God that you would help us unplug, get out there today and tonight, and just behold how big and awesome you are. To, to pray for our friends and just help them make the connection between this big God, this cosmos, and that there's a God really out there that anyone can know. And that we would make connections like David made. That in the Son's faithfulness, in the Son's warmth, that you are always there for us. Not just there for us, but there to help us, to grow us, and to give us life. We want to hear you more, Lord. We want to get to know you more. Help us listen to you as we step outside today and this week and throughout our lives and hear you as you communicate to us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.